Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our theme today is why real discipleship starts in the basement. Why real discipleship starts in the basement. Uh, I spent, as you know, 26 years pastoring uh, as a lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. But towards the end of my tenure there, as we were looking at succession, we brought in a consultant who wanted to understand the unique DNA uh, of New Life. Uh, and so we had an offsite retreat with all of our staff, and they began asking questions about, you know, what is it that made New Life uh, really the great church that it was and, and is? And we spent more than a half a day on that topic, and he put up on a wall all people's responses, and a word kept coming up over and over again, and it was the word basement. Actually, next to the word basement was Jerry's name quite often. Now, the basement word, why real discipleship starts in the basement, and we use that word basement, is because over a 16-year period, Jerry and I led a discipleship basement group in our home for between 14 and 16 selected people, marriage and singles, from the church. And we had a different group each year, and it ran generally from early September to mid-April, 16 weeks uh, one time a week, we'd meet for three to three and a half hours, and then we'd have four actual weekends that were more intensive times, Thursday, Friday night uh, evenings, and then three out for three hours each. And then we'd meet Saturday all day and Sunday evenings. Uh, now, there was a couple of years in that 16-year period, we actually ran uh, less intensive configurations just to kind of give ourselves a break. But we continue that idea of the basement group. And actually, today, we have something equivalent uh, in the larger global ministry that we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Now, what happens when we do uh, discipleship in the basement, as I'm going to describe to you today, things happen far beyond anything we could possibly imagine. Now, the reason this is so important uh, to be making disciples, uh, and again, we're calling it in the basement, is because Jesus, first of all, calls us in the Great Commission to uh, go in and make disciples, be making disciples of all nations, you know, teaching everything that we've learned from him that we are to teach to other people. That's for every leader uh, and every follower of Christ. It's core to what it means to be a Christian. Now, remember, a Christian is someone who is a disciple. That is, they're learning, they're following Jesus, they're with Jesus, and they're following him, and they're allowing themselves to be shaped and formed by him, and thus aligning their entire lives around God's purpose in the world and their unique place in that. And that's why this podcast actually applies to not just pastors and leaders, but everybody uh, who may be listening, who serves in a church or as a Christian, uh, that we're all making disciples, real disciples. But then secondly, Jesus models for us actually discipling. I mean, he chose in a short three-year ministry to focus on 12, uh, spending all night praying before he chose them. Then he focused on three within the 12, Peter, James, and John. And then, of course, he had the women who follow, who provided for him and followed him as well, uh, and then he had the 70, whom we sent out two by two into, the, into uh, you know, to do ministry for him. And then he had crowds who followed him. So he was very selective, very careful uh, to do real discipleship, even though he had large multitudes following him. And then actually, it's critically important because this is central to a scorecard for success, for, for biblical success anyway, that we're actually ever, that we're investing thoughtfully and intentionally in the deep formation of a few disciples like Jesus did. Disciples who then make disciples and that we've got a plan to multiply discipleship in what we do. And so if you think of yourself on a scale of one to 10, uh, you wanna to say to yourself, how am I doing in actually investing intentionally and thoughtfully in a few? 
In fact, we have an event in, on June 15th in a few weeks called the Leadership One Day uh, event. It's from 12 to 4. And actually, it's on reimagining a new scorecard for success. That is the theme of that four-hour event. And uh, let me invite you to come to that. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash one day. And check that out for June 15th. In fact, if you're listening to this beyond that date, uh, we usually do that event once or twice a year on reimagining a new scorecard for success and making real discipleship is core to that. Now, the great temptation of doing this is the one that I struggled with uh, and still occasionally struggle with even to this day. And I remember walking down the stairs into my basement uh, year after year. And you can imagine we're meeting from 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. But actually, we really start at 5.30. That's when people start showing up at our home and you end up going till 10 or 10.30. But I remember walking down the basement and I'd hear this little voice, uh, you're a loser, Pete. Uh, and look at these other you know, pastors especially in our, in our great city of New York, uh, they're not walking down the basement to be with a few people. They're having services. They're building bigger and bigger. And I actually was like, oh, that voice. I say, get behind me. I knew it was the right thing to do, uh, to be in the basement with these folks. But I want you to know that I struggled the whole time I did it because it was so counter-cultural to how I've been trained and formed as a leader by so many leaders who went before me. And I had to remind myself, oh yes, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Yes, remember a mustard seed in the ancient Near East represented something extremely small, but it grows into this massive tree. And Jesus says the kingdom of God starts out insignificant, powerless, apparently defeated. But in the end, God's plan will be glorious. It'll fill the earth and the whole world will be filled with the glory of God. So making disciples, real disciples that starts in the basement, it can appear invisible, imperceptible. It can look powerless. I mean, again, think of Jesus' day. You had Herod building these massive, the massive temple of Jerusalem. You had the eternal city of Rome, which was massive. You had uh, Athens with its brilliant intellectuals. And then you've got Jesus with the 12 uh, who really weren't listening very well. And then he had him speaking in parables that even uneducated peasants, farmers who couldn't read could grasp. And it sure didn't look like it was doing much. And that's why Judas got fed up and quit. But we do this real discipleship in the basement because the future of the next generation depends on it. Now, we see that all through scripture, from Moses to Joshua, from Elijah to Elijah, Paul and Timothy, and of course, Jesus and the 12. And so uh, our history and our leadership uh, for the time we were at New Life Fellowship for 26 years, uh, it was amazing because the leaders of our church flowed out of our basement, most of them. And in fact, it's been 10 years since we've stepped down. Uh, and we had a meeting with the elders of our church uh, just a couple of months ago. And what was amazing was the number of people in that room 10 years later that were in our basement. And folks who are involved in one of the church plants that have gone off in the last two years, also filled with people that were in our basement and so many folks who are solid pillars today were in our basement. In fact, I was in a park recently near our home and I ran into a couple that had been in our basement uh, for a year. And they said to me, and I had no idea when they said this to me, they said, Pete, do you realize that the basement saved our marriage? I was like, oh Lord, who knew? So I'm going to structure this podcast as follows. I want to talk about the history of how we even got to the basement uh, discipleship. 
then some distinctives of basement discipleship, the best part of what we did, and then the worst part of what we did, or the hardest part. And then I want to extend an invitation to you uh, as well to begin to work out in your context what it might look like to do real discipleship in the basement, although it might not be a literal basement. It's a metaphor. So I'm going to end with a specific invitation and step uh, for you. But to get you started, in case you don't make it to the very end of this podcast, uh, I want to invite you to download a free resource uh, that I will explain later. And it is called our Table Leader uh, Mentoring Checklist. And go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash checklist. Again, it's free. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash checklist. Download that. It's going to be my invitation for you at the end to help you get moving and started in this basement discipleship. All right. Let me explain to you how we got here. So I came to Christ at 19 uh, years old while a university student. But within nine months, I was leading our campus fellowship that eventually became InterVarsity Christian Fellowship or uh, IFES, as some of you might know from around the world. Uh, and we were taught very clearly, you know, 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you've heard uh, from me, Paul said to Timothy, invest in reliable, faithful men and women who in turn will be able to teach others. So 2 Timothy 2, 2, the idea of discipleship was built into the DNA when I came to Christ. And then we actually... Uh, for three years, when I was on staff with the diversity, working with university students, the focus was on making disciples. That was one of the great gifts of uh, parachurch, uh, working with university students like Campus Crusade or Navigators or diversity, very focused. But it was primarily about Bible study and evangelism and discovering one's gifts. And uh, it was heavy on theological, biblical content, which is all good. However, there were some gaps there, and people were changing, but not changing deeply. And I can think of a number of names here I've got in parentheses. And then I went to seminary, uh, and I learned a lot of theology, a lot of content. History, was, it was excellent. I didn't do, wasn't making disciples at that point. I was taking in a lot of content. Then we planted New Life Fellowship Church, uh, and I kind of continued on the standard discipleship model that I was taught or traditional discipleship model I was taught, we actually ran uh, summer uh, training camps, uh, again, filled with Bible study. In the mornings, when nine to one, we'd have, we'd be in scripture. I would teach things like the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Galatians, overview of the Bible. Then in the afternoons, we'd go out into the streets, we'd share the gospel and the power of God, get into spiritual warfare. And uh, But the, basically, the formula I understood about discipleship was this. If we teach scripture, we provide opportunity for people to use uh, their gifts and get involved in mission, uh, and we have community, it will result in transformed lives. The problem was it wasn't true. There was some transformation, but it was limited. And uh, again, people were content with that. Many folks came to Christ, but we could see that over time within our community that we were building, uh, the transformation and the discipleship was skin deep. It was not deeply transformative. And then uh, as many of you know our story, uh, God met Jerry and me, and we were deeply transformed uh, as we entered into what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship and realizing that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And we went to a whole nother level in our own formation in Jesus, and that gradually morphed into our basement group. And we then we began to do some discipleship that has some clear distinctives from what we did in the past. Not that we weren't teaching scripture, of course, or books of the Bible, but the basement discipleship that we began uh, many, many years ago had a number of distinctives. So here's a few of them. Number one, it was content-driven as well as life on life. In other words, 
there was fresh content to apply scripture that we had not had previously. So it was many of the things that are uh, in our EH discipleship course today. Uh, things like skills on how to do relationships like clean fighting and speaking clearly, respectfully, and honestly, and stop mind reading, and uh, and genogram of your family going back three to four generations and how it's impacted you today. Uh, we began to, to broaden our theology and apply, again, scripture to the present day of what does it mean to know God and to know yourself? What does it mean to integrate uh, your griefs, grief and losses and your emotional world into your listening and discerning of God? What does it mean to embrace God's gift of limits? And so everything actually that's in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one and part two, part one, which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and part two, which is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, it all got pioneered in our basement over years and years. It was actually became, we didn't know it at the time, a laboratory but it was nothing just, we weren't just doing some new, fresh content uh, in this basement. Uh, it was experiential learning. It was not just left brain, which is you kind of learn new content. It was right brain. Uh, we began to learn, we learned from everyone we could about how do you help people actually apply the Bible? And so we learned things about skills. That was a big piece of it. But we saw the limits of people learning theology in their heads that wasn't applied into their lives. And Jerry was really the, the spearhead. She was the point leader of this basement group. I was her assistant. Uh, I, I taught some, of course. I mentored. I, uh, I was involved fully with her. We, we, you know, we co-led it, but she was really the leader. She was the genius behind it and was a real a stickler for it's got to be in people's experience. This was really hard for me because my formation and training uh, again, from my early days in parachurch and leadership, from seminary days, was primarily head-focused. Uh, and it was content, I download my learning to you. And it was change the mind of people biblically, and then they'll be changed ex you know, in their lives. But it's not true. Uh, it, they, they needed experiencing the truth. They needed real discipleship in the basement, life on life, walking it out. And we began to create experiences uh, and kinds of questions to get at different parts of people's experience. And you see that in the workbooks that have been produced in the EH Discipleship Course Part 1 and 2. You see it in the skills. And I, I saw the limits of preaching. I believe in preaching. But you know, you've probably heard the saying that preaching is like walk, thinking that preaching is transforming people's lives alone. It's like walking into the nursery at church, spraying milk all over the babies and saying we fed all the children. Now, again, preaching is important. Last week's uh, podcast was on uh, preaching. Okay. So, uh, but it wasn't enough for Jesus either. He preached to the multitudes, but he did much more than that. He trained the 12. He did real discipleship in the basement himself, uh, life on life. So, it wasn't just we had content, and it wasn't just that it was experiential learning, but another distinctive is that Jerry and I were learners ourselves. Uh, I, I went and got a doctor of ministry in marriage and family. Jerry went and became a master trainer with a, a, an organization called Pairs, and we were learning and traveling everywhere about how do people change. We were growing ourselves. We were totally committed to growing in Jesus, each of us, our own transformation, and we were continually wrestling with how do we position people to be transformed by Jesus? How do people change? And we kept improving it year after years. And we, we continue, continue it to this day. Uh, really, it can be summarized in a statement Jerry would say to me. Very simply, she'd say, Pete, I do not want to play 
church. I am tired of playing church and people not changing, uttering things that they're not living. And so just as Jesus was focused on transformation, uh, Jerry was not wooed by crowds or the big meetings we would have. Uh, uh, and again, I was, of course, thinking about sermons. I'm thinking about the leadership team, staff team. I'm thinking about the board and ministries going on and reaching out to the community and buying buildings and budgets and long-term planning. And, and of course, I was as a lead pastor, I've got all the regular crises that come to every pastor uh, and every leader. Uh, but Jerry kept me grounded about we've got to keep wrestling with how do people deeply change in Jesus and how do we do discipleship more effectively? But it wasn't just that we were learners. We were actually very planned and thoughtful as we would lay out a whole year curriculum. Uh, we were always working on it and thinking about it. We were very thoughtful about it. And then we were grounded. It kept it to hold. It just it kept us grounded in treating people as thou's, not it's. It's easy as a leader, at least it was easy for me, uh, especially as our church got larger. You're kind of moving people on an org chart and launching ministries, and it's almost like people are it's, but it's not personal. It's not an I thou relationship. And in some ways, the discipleship and the ba real discipleship in the basement saved me. It anchored me on what's really important. And what's really important is the few. It's it's people. Uh, and that we began to see that it's not just people coming to Christ, those testimonies, which are great. It's actually, we're constantly being radically transformed by Jesus. That testimonies are meant to be coming out of the mouths of people who've been in Jesus three years, eight years, 12 years, 20, 30, 50 years being deeply changed by Jesus. And then another distinctive of the basement group was that it, we kept it time limited. In other words, uh, that we, we, didn't want, we didn't want people to become overly dependent on us long-term. And so we kept it to this 10-month, you know, nine-month block and that people had it to do their own work of integrating this material into their lives you know, themselves. So we would give ourselves in that, in that year period fully to these folks, praying for them, you know, constantly thinking about them. We would have conversations about them. Uh, again, we had marrieds and couples uh, between meetings. Jerry and I are talking. Then we'd meet with people in between sessions, just following up on insights God might be giving us, challenges for them. Uh, we were seeking God for discernment on how to best serve them and see Christ formed in them. We actually had assistance eventually. We, we added assistance to help us coach people in the actual meetings themselves as they're integrating things in our life like Sabbath and silence and integrating skills like clean fighting and speaking clearly, respectfully and honestly and incarnational listening. And again, Jerry was just driving this process, which was just phenomenal. So I think the best, if I was going to say, what's the best part of what we did uh, in fact, I, Jared and I just had a little conversation about it, you know, uh, today. I said, and uh, I had her add to my list. Well, I, the best part was number one is that we used our power and our equity as pastors and as public figures to invest in a few. That was a big decision, and to invest in a few people over a long period of time. And what this did was it gave us equity. It gave us uh, uh, people's trust. People trusted us over time, and then we could speak directly into their lives and nuance truth into them. And so, for example, uh, I think, you know, one fellow who grew up in a, in a uh, you know, church com uh, community, Pentecostal, uh, but his spirituality was not integrated at all. And so what happened was he, he came to Christ at eight years old, but at this point he was uh, in his late 30s, early 40s, uh, and he just had not 
integrated spirituality. And actually, I write about him in the, in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book because in 9-11 at the World Trade Center, his aunt uh, was killed. Her body was never found. And uh, she left behind two young children. And so even though his family was Christian um, and it was such a shattering event, they had, they, he didn't have an ability to integrate or even do grief because they didn't do grief and integrate emotions. He didn't do emotions either. Uh, but he had a breakthrough in our nine, 10 month intensive basement discipleship group. Uh, and as he talked about, he, he finally was able to let himself feel stuff he'd never felt before, such as sadness and grief. And that's when things really began to change for him in his marriage and his parenting and his leadership. And he describes, he described the nine, 10 month uh, time in our basement as torture. At the same time, he described it as life-changing. And it was life-changing because he came alive, but it was torture because he came alive as well. I think of another couple that was with us that, you know, they, you know, something was just not right. Uh, they, they were, again, they were raised in Christian homes, uh, super nice, respectable, solid backgrounds, uh, newly married, uh, gifted, but there was something we just sensed that wasn't right. And so Jerry uh, and called them to come to the basement, not on a meeting night, a different night, and really challenge them, uh, what's going on? Like, what's happening here uh, in your lives that uh, something just feels off? And uh, that night, they did share something that was really off. Uh, and uh, we resourced them. They got some help. Uh, but you need time and trust for that kind of stuff. It doesn't happen in, a, in the foyer uh, and uh, as people are walking out of church. And I remember them saying uh, later that they probably would never have talked to anybody about it uh, their whole lives. And yet it was a life transforming moment. And so using our power and equity in a sense was such a, was the best part of what we did in, in, in the few, much like Jesus did with the 12. Now we were able to get into people's genograms and cultural messages and bad theology and the impact of all that in a way we could never have except for that basement group. Another, another best thing we did was we called people to commitment. Uh, we would basically say, this is a privilege, and to be involved in this basement group with us is going to change your life. Uh, and so we gave them we, clear expectations. In fact, the expectations got higher and higher each year, uh, and we asked people for a big commitment of time. And they had to agree, for example, not to miss sessions. They had to agree to pay for materials and food, and they had to be open to learn, etc. cetera. Uh, but we call them to commitment. Uh, and uh, that was really a very wise thing to do. Now, the hardest uh, or the worst, most difficult part of doing uh, discipleship in the basement is that sometimes you have people, and we had people that didn't work out real well. They were not great choices. So again, some were, uh, quote, duds in the sense of there was not an openness or there was a defensiveness uh, to actually receiving the kind of transformation that we were actually doing in that basement. So there was mixed fruit. This is not a slot machine. If you start discipling people, they're going to totally respond beautifully. It's all going to be great. I mean, we let's remember the sower and the seed parable was for people who hear the word. Uh, there was different types of soil. Even Jesus in the twelve. Um, you know, Judas quit. And then Paul uh, in 2 Timothy, you realize how many people quit on Paul as well. So there's going to be different soil. Sometimes soil is hard and rocky and, or you're plowing and, and it's challenging. 
And uh, so I remember one person in the group who would uh, really was was not open. He was open to a certain extent, but as we got deeper and deeper into messages, deep messages of his genogram, his culture, some of his bad theology, he was saying, I wasn't biblical enough. This wasn't biblical enough, like good Bible study. And I said, listen, I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse for over a year. And you're telling me I'm not biblical enough? Uh, and again, now we're part of a local church and there's a lot coming around this discipleship as a community, uh, but there was a real defensiveness there. And I think if someone else we had in a group who actually turned out to be on the spectrum of a personality disorder, which made his ability to actually receive what was happening in the group and even participate uh, in a 12 person or we were a 14, 16 people community, uh, he just was limited in, in the ability to do that. Another person, a couple was in, and, and uh, it turns out that the, one of the spouses was in the middle of an affair and wasn't being honest uh, with uh, his spouse nor with us. And then I had another person who was just so intellectual and heady uh, that I could not get him out of his head. Uh, very, very uh, difficult. And at the same time, there were folks who were struggling uh, and would say things like, I you know, I don't like coming here. Every week they say, I hate coming here. But their life was being, because their life was being torn up, but they were good soil. So again, the, the worst part, I think, was a, I, I understand why Jesus spent the night praying in Luke chapter 12 all night before he chose the 12. And most scholars believe that he spent at least a year with the multitudes before he actually chose the 12. So the prayerful, thoughtful part is really important uh, as well. So here's my invitation to you today. It is to actually, in whatever your context might be, to begin doing some, what I'm calling here, real discipleship in the basement, although it may not be a literal basement. And so our work is providing materials and content for you uh, to do that. So the reason we develop the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one, and part two, Emotionally Spirituality and Emotionally Relationship, was to provide content for churches and for people like yourself, not to do a course, but to actually develop people, invest in people. And so I mentioned earlier this emotionallyhealthy.org slash checklist. We actually call it the table leader checklist for high impact. And uh, I want to encourage you to download it because it really gives you a structure to actually develop table leaders or people specifically who then lead smaller groups, we call them table leader groups, whether you're doing it online or live, uh, but you invest in these few and uh, they then invest in some other people. And so what this table leader checklist for high impact provides is a basically uh, a six step process for part one, emotionally and spirituality, and part two, emotionally relationships. So things such as, for example, you'll meet with each person about their rhythms of slowing down to be with Jesus. And you'll ask them questions like, how's it going with your practice of silence, stillness, and scripture, the daily office? And how's it going with your weekly practice of Sabbath, the light? Then you'll meet with them, coaching them through, in part one, their grief and loss chart and how they're integrating the losses of their history, the different seasons of their history, into their walk with Jesus, into their listening to Jesus, into uh, allowing him to create a great future out of it. That's a one-on-one -on -one meeting as well. And we, provide some, we provide some training on how to actually do that in our training vault. And then you'll coach uh, each of these folks in what we call incarnational listening, one of the skills from the relationships course. And you'll uh, coach them on what's the biggest thing impacting them. 
on how they're feeling about it. So you're teaching them about how to be present. Uh, and then I've got a couple of other things as well in the, uh, the checklist for emotionally healthy spirituality, part one. Then in part two, emotionally healthy relationships, you'll coach them not in genogram as well, uh, how their family of origin over three to four generations has impacted who they are today. And we give some instruction on how to do that. That's quite a meeting, taking them the next level beyond the course. You'll coach them in different skills that are part of the emotionally healthy relationships course. Things like speaking and listening and clarifying expectations and clean fighting and dirty fighting. Um, how do you make a complaint with a request for change, et cetera. But they learn it to such a degree that they can actually master it, nuance it in their own lives, and then coach other people in it. So again, the table leader checklist, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash checklist. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash checklist. Download that. I think it'd be very, very helpful for you to get started in doing this kind of experiential, content-driven biblical material, of course, material out of your life into their lives. And again, you're using the discipleship course as a base, and then you're taking it the next level to bring it into their lives. And then hopefully, by God's grace, they begin to give it away to other people. It's quite exciting. Trust me, if you will make the decision regularly, consistently over your life, regardless of what position you're in, what what your role is in life as a follower of Jesus, that you are going to do real discipleship of a few like Jesus. And we're providing here a pathway for you to do that. And if you're, if, you're, if you're developing leaders, it's a great pathway to develop leaders as well. And I trust you will discover, as we have discovered in our lives, that God will do far more than you ever, ever imagined. And so for us at this to this day, we are continuing in a sense with our basement groups year after year and modulating it to a global ministry and our season of life. But we trust and pray, Jerry and I, that we will do this uh, till the day we die. And it may be the most important work that we do uh, here on earth, passing it on to the next generation. I pray this has been a help to you. I, and I pray that your life may be a gift to all those around you. So blessings, have a great day. Talk to you soon.